Cinebuds receives support from Associated Bank and Eyes on the Lake, I Care and I Wear. Cinebuds, Cinebuds, two buddies, buddies talking about cinema. Hi, everybody. I'm Christopher Pollard from Milwaukee Film. And from Radio Milwaukee, I'm Dory Zori, and you are listening to Cinebuds. Yeah, you are. And this week on Cinebuds, we have a very fun thing. We're going to talk about Stop Making Sense. Making Sense, considered by critics as maybe one of the greatest music, live music films of all time. Recently re-released. I mean, why are we talking about this? Well, because it's a big anniversary and a re-release. Yeah, they did a great uh, overhaul of the film. 4K restoration, the sound, the visuals of everything is just impeccable. And then they re-released it in the theaters all over the place, too. We did it right here at home at at the Oriental Theater. uh, But all over the country, people are coming out to see this movie again. And one of the special things that happened in Milwaukee, thank you, Milwaukee Film, was you had Jerry Harrison, Milwaukee native and Talking Heads member, there that beginning weekend doing like a QA and a in film intros. It was so cool. Um, He came out. He was very, very generous. Several screenings, too. It wasn't just once. Mm -hmm. He came out like four or five times, did a great Q&A, introduced the film, uh, you know, depending on which one you went to. (laughs) And then uh, and we got to have him there and then see him on the big screen. It was really exciting. People were coming out in droves. We really sold the heck out of it. Yeah, it was a wonderful night. I was um, asked to host two of the Q&As. What is your first memory as uh, someone who grew up in Milwaukee? What's your first memory of the Oriental Theater? Well, I know that my father was a musician and he had played here. And I used to come and just see films here and go to Oriental Drugs and, mm-hmm. and, eat, and eat, yeah. at, eat at the counter. The counter. Mm-hmm. And then when I was old enough, drink at Hooligans across the street. Nice. <laughs> One of the places on North Avenue that's still here. That's right. Yes. A very classic place. I do have to say that I had never seen this film in the theater, and it is legendary. Milwaukee Film had been showing it during the film festival for a while. So to see this in the theater, the way it was intended, Rocky Horror Picture style, with people (laughs) dancing and singing and clapping and cheering was just a delight. Oh, man. Yeah, and I will say, people, we didn't have it for a couple years of the festival, and it was because of this restoration. So the distributor pulled it. They didn't want it to be shown because they knew they were working on an upgrade. So... It's so funny. The first year we did not have it, so many emails going, why are you guys not doing that anymore? Everyone was real concerned. Rest assured, now that it is back and available, we're bringing it back to the festival every year as per tradition. So if you would like to listen to the Jerry Harrison interview, hear him tell stories about how they found the original film and why it got this um, revamping. It's kind of like an Indiana Jones kind of uh, (laughs) lost ark kind of story. This has to be in a museum. Yeah, exactly. And of course, if you want to know what his childhood smelled like, I had to ask him that at some point. (laughs) You can listen to the full podcast. be good. Yeah, if you want to hear all that goodness, just stick around and we'll be right back. 
Hey, Wisconsin foodies. This is Tariq Moody of Radio Milwaukee. Join Milwaukee Magazine's food writer Ann Christensen and myself every Friday morning at 8 a.m. for This Bites, Milwaukee's longest-running culinary podcast. We talk about everything from new restaurants, pop-ups, cookbooks, events, and even an occasional interview with a local chef. Head over to RadioMilwaukee.org slash This Bites or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. How many times have you seen this film in the theater, if and, at all? Because during the oh film yeah. festival, you don't really get to watch movies. You're working, well, you right? Can, you can watch movies. There's times you can watch movies. Usually at the end of the day, it's a lot easier. Or if you're, you know, if you're going to do a and a you have to watch it because you got to be able to talk about it if you haven't seen it already. Oh, that makes sense. But uh, I, there are many, there, you know, there are times when you're not going to see a ton during the festival because you're working. However... I did not see this movie ever, mm-hmm. and then even when we showed it, I was never able to go to the the one where everyone's going to dance and go crazy. Then finally, the last year we showed it, before they pulled it, and again, it's coming back, um, I finally got to see it, but it was absolutely full, so I snuck up to the balcony. So it, not only did I watch the movie for the first time, and it was Everything everyone said, it was just f- phenomenal. Uh, I got to watch a different movie, which is all the people yes. just running in circles, dancing. There were conga lines, mm-hmm. non-conga conga lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, people having the time of their life. One of the beautiful things about the second screening that I was at, um, I think that was on a Saturday, the 730 there was an older gentleman, clearly well, probably the age of the Talking Heads members, um, full David Burns oversized suit that was leading the conga oh, line wow. and just dancing to the beat of his own drum within this <laughs> film the whole time. But then sitting directly behind us were maybe kids in their early 20s oh, that had went to the wherever to get oversized suits and they were doing the same thing. And I just thought, what a beautiful um, band and film to bring literally generations together yeah. for an event like this. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know it's one of those bands that when you're younger, it's cool to know about. Mm-hmm. Like younger now. Like, oh, I, there's a band that, it, you know, you, they don't see them on TV a lot. And it's, but it's like, my dad was into them, but they're really great. It's like <laughs> it's yeah. like an insider. So that appeals to like the cool kid in you. Indeed. Well, and in 19, I think MTV launched in 1983 or something. This film came out in 84. Shot at the Hollywood Pontages Theater in 1983 over three nights. Um, it was them at their best, like the height of their career. They were a super big rock band. I mean, it was full of hits and even like their b-sides and album cuts are songs everybody still knows yeah, today right so that was really cool shot by jonathan demi so i talked to jerry yeah, about right. why jonathan demi because he hadn't really done he didn't do that was before silence of the oh, lambs yeah, well before that, yeah. i think he at that point he had only released a couple films um that weren't as popular so you find out from jerry why jonathan demi um their relationship to the cinematographer um, and he also talked a lot about what was happening because he is a Milwaukee native too. So we kind of yeah. talked about his connection of being back in the Oriental Theater because oh, that's interesting. The Talking yeah. Heads yeah, had a yeah. show there back in the eighties. Right. Which do you ever think about that when you're in the Oriental Theater that there used to be live music? Oh there? my gosh, all the time. There was a period where I went. I went to the public library downtown. Thank you, public library. Everything you do is magic. And they pulled out all the old playbills from the Oriental Theater for 
many years. Like I'm talking back to the 30, 20s and 30s. Um, now they don't have everything, but they had an incredible selection. So not only did I see that like Stop Making Sense, Bob Dylan, uh, David Bowie have been on that stage, but Betty Davis performed a play on that what? stage. Liberace played on that stage. I mean, amazing people have been on that stage. So honestly, ever since then, I mean, I'd always heard about Bob Dylan and, and you know about obviously mm-hmm. the um, Violent Femmes, mm-hmm. but um, ever since then, I'm so aware and conscious every time I go up there, like people have been on this stage are, it's just immeasurable talent. So it's very cool and stop making sense. Perfect example. So let's um, play some audio from that interview, and then we'll come back with our final our final thoughts on the movie. Yeah, enjoy. All right, let's keep it going. How fun was that? Shout out to everyone who got up to dance. Very fun. I'm Dory Zori from 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. And uh, I don't know who in this theater has seen this movie in this theater before. Clap your hands. Who's seen it with Jerry Harrison in the theater? Yeah, that's why this night is so special. Welcome, Jerry Harrison. Nice to be here back in Milwaukee. I mean, this is truly surreal to have you here, so thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. Actually, Talking Heads played here. The second time we played in Milwaukee, we played at the Oriental before it was a triplex. I was thinking about that. Do you remember what year that was? I think it must have been... 1978, Yeah, my guess. Anyone in here at that show <laughs> in 1978? I knew there's some super fans here. Um, what is your first memory? As uh, someone who grew up in Milwaukee, what's your first memory of the Oriental Theater? Well, I know that my father was a musician, and he had played here. And I used to come and just see films here and go to Oriental Drugs mm-hmm. and, and, and eat, yeah. at, eat at the counter. The counter. Mm-hmm. And then when I was old enough drink at hooligans across the street. Nice. One of the places on North Avenue that's still here. That's right. Yes. A very classic place. And Milwaukee is unusual that it it's, has over-the-counter service so that it acts as a liquor store as well. I don't, I don't know any other place in the country that has those same laws. No. And you could go get some aspirin for your day after yeah, yes, headache, too, yes. along with some yummy counter food. Oh, that's right. Yes. And they used to have music at, at hooligans where they put this this, uh, maybe they still do, like a, it's unbelievable, they would put like a, it was like a plywood sheet, and, and everyone's like, would, like their head would be like six inches from the ceiling. Yeah, because on you would play the on the bar, right? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I love this walk down memory lane. All right, so I do have a couple questions about the movie we watched. Um, do you remember the first moments that you started talking about the idea of turning your live show into a concert film? It was something that was sort of bubbling up as the tour progressed. I mean, it was obviously, this is what, what you see here is what we did every night. Um, we built the stage every night. And in fact, we had to do the sound check where we would come and have the stage all the way built and then say to the crew, okay, now tear it all apart, <laughs> which was a lot of work for the crew. And, but, uh, but, that, but Jonathan and, Jor- and Jordan just did an incredible job. I mean, I think that one of the things that, that Jonathan did so well is that he he introduces each person, every member of the band, just as we are building the band sort of one by one, but it's also you're being introduced to this person as a character. And then you see these sort of 
dialogues between the different characters as they play music together. And I think that that sort of separates this film from almost any other documentary where this one really is, is he really is he really focuses on these moments of sort of interaction between us. How did you get hooked up with Jonathan Demme? He went on to have quite a prolific career, but back when this film was shot, he hadn't made that many things no, yet. No, it was, it was mainly um, Melvin and Howard that had really caught our eye. And, but there was also, it wasn't like people were clamoring. You know, we, you know it, wasn't, it wasn't like there was like five of the great directors. It was like we thought that we should be a film, and then Jonathan showed up, we go, wow, he makes serious movies. Sounds like a great idea. And, and I have to, like, Gary Getzman, who is uh, still with us, Jonathan passed a few years ago, was the producer, and they were like a team. And um, uh, Gary produced records as well, and so they, they loved music. And if you see other Jonathan Demme movies, he always treats the music as, when there's a good song, he gives it space in his film for you to hear it. A lot of film directors, it really is in the background, but in Jonathan's, it, he brings it into the foreground. And to be able to use minimal lights and shadows and video like you did, I think, really speaks to why this film is so important beyond just the fact that the music is so very, very great. Well, I think that one of the things that has made this timeless is that really all the lighting effects could have been done 100 years ago. And so there isn't anything that sort of s screams the 80s, except for perhaps someone's hairdo or, you know, the clothes that people wore. But even those, apparently, someone was mentioning, no, the, those clothes have come back. And I went, well, okay, I, I, I hadn't noticed, but okay. <laughs> Can we talk about the shoes you're wearing in the film? Oh, yes. Those well, are great, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, those are uh, Capizio, uh, they're, for, they're called jazz shoes from Capizio, who, outfits ballet, everything from ballet to Broadway. And, but I would get them in white and then I would get this sort of spray dye for shoes and I had lots of different colors. This sort of flesh tone I picked for, it's not making sense, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I've, there have been some articles where someone thought I was barefoot, but. Uh. <laughs> you sprayed toes on the end of your yeah, shoes. Yeah. So you know you're gonna make this film. It isn't that far off of what your live shows were at the time, but once you know you're gonna film something, do special rehearsals start? No, no, we, we just, we, we went into the Pantages Theater in Hollywood, and it was a theater that we thought we could fill because we played four nights, and we played four nights in a, in a row. The first night was largely Jonathan and Jordan finding camera angles. I'm not sure that they shot much film that night. But then there's what's called a dolly shot in film where you have a, you know, this is a 35 millimeter camera that weighs hundreds of pounds. And so it's on like railroad tracks. So the seats have to be taken out. So one night it was over on the left side, one night down the middle and one night down the right side. And so that was why three nights. And then we, we picked the, the, uh, the, uh, the, which night we thought the performance was best for each song. But then Jonathan, sort of, there were six cameras going, and he took uh, um, the, uh, you know, whatever best shot he thought, you know, told the story the best. What was your favorite thing that Jonathan brought to the table? Well, certainly his enthusiasm was, you know, is, he's a magnetic personality. Um, 
and his just joy in the filmmaking process. I mean, this for me was like getting to know Jonathan as we made this. It wasn't like I got to know him really ahead of time. I mean, we had a conversation, but I stayed and, and, and was there for the edit and for the then doing the mix of the movie, the original mix. And so, you know, I just got to know him in the process of what we were doing. We used a, a system that had been developed by the great film director, Hal Ashby, that allowed you to look at every camera simultaneously. There weren't editing tables that could handle six cameras. And so it was a sort of primitive using Sony Betamax tapes. So the original edit, Lisa Day and Jonathan, and, and they were like going through and picking the shots and a kind of a, a very um, crude edit was put together and that was then they went to film, and then finally, when everything was agreed upon to negative. And the one thing that's been great about this uh, restoration is that we found the negative, and that's a story in itself, is that uh, a guy who I was, James Bukowski, who um, came in and was hired by A24, and they couldn't find it anywhere. And in fact, the version that came out in 1999, when we had a re-release, was a copy of a work print. It was not a copy of the original. And they somehow found it at an MGM warehouse in Kansas. Just and, in the back somewhere, you know, like Raiders yeah, of the it, Lost it, Ark it, style? Sort of like that. And, <laughs> and the sound was like that, too. It's like we kept having tapes. We go like, OK, I think we got the right one. And then it would fall out of sync. And it was, so we, we had been working on this, uh, Eric Thorngren and I, for like months in advance of when we finalized this. But uh, we, it still seemed like we barely made it for when, when this needed to be released because we had this sort of deadline of the Toronto Film Festival. Originally when it was made, did you have a feeling that it was going to be special or when was that moment where you realized this is lasting longer than any other concert film? It's becoming kind of a cult thing shown in movie theaters, people yeah. dancing, people singing. Well, this was during the period of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that was one of the goals, was that we could become one of those movies that they, you could watch over and over. And so therefore, we all agreed that there should be no interviews, because we wanted it to be as much of just a live concert. And you can dance, you can, you know, you could, you can study it, or you can dance, or you can, wa you, know, you can watch it, you can think about it in many different ways. And I, again, I think that that's why it, it's easy to see it over and over again because you, you see new things, but also you just could sort of lose yourself in the groove of the music. Who were those lucky folks that got to be in the theater those three nights of filming? Was it a combination of fans, friends, family? It wasn't anything like, you know, our fan club. It was just people who bought tickets. Nice. I mean, wow. it, was, you know, it was like, okay, they're going to do four shows. And by the way, you're going to be on film. You have to sign this release. And that, that was sort of the price of admission. They have no idea 40 years later we'd be talking about it on a stage yeah. here in Milwaukee. That, that's right. It says like, and like, there I am in that shot, right? You know, when I go back to the audience, I was like, you know, I'm that little guy in the back there. Yeah. Has this been like watching old movies for you or have you visited this film throughout the years occasionally? Well, I was involved in the one in 1999 and actually I did a thing with the Milwaukee Film Festival here in I think 2018. So I have seen it more recently than anybody else in the band, actually. So I think it, it was not surprising to me in the same way that it was. Uh, David is very often quoted going like, who is that guy? You know, it's like he hadn't, you know, he hadn't watched it in quite a while.
And he wasn't that involved in this restoration, stuff like that. He was busy with Here Lies Love. And so it was really sort of left up to me to uh, sort of oversee it as, as the representative of the band, which, but which. With great power comes yeah. great responsibility. You know, but it was, it was, you know, I live in California, so it was also convenient for me compared mm -hmm. to anybody else as well. Nice. So, um, live in California now, but you are from Milwaukee. Um, Jerry Harrison, what is your first concert you remember going to? I can't, I think it was the Love and Spoonful at the Eagles Club. <laughs> it, it could have, it was that or the animals who I was going to see who were opening for Herman's Hermits at the arena. So, yeah, that, that, probably about 19, 64, like they're 63 or 64. Was that by yourself or did your parents take you? No, no, I was allowed out alone. <laughs> <laughs> did your parents drag you to anything they loved when you were little that you're like, why am I here? No, my, my mom was a painter. My father, as I mentioned, had been a musician. So no, they were pretty open to things. There, there was a moment, actually what was a great thing about playing in a high school band is your parents got really used to you coming home really late. Because you had to pack up all your equipment and you had to move it home. So you suddenly sort of had a different curfew than really all of your friends. Uh, I think there might have been people that did it just for that. Uh, um, so I, do, I did go with my parents. We went to New York when the 1964 uh, World's Fair was there. And they, said, they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to go to the Copacabana. And we went and saw... She does Fever, what's her name, Lee? Right? Peggy, Peggy Lee. Lee. Mm -hmm. So we saw Peggy Lee at the Coco. Wow. So that was something I did see with my parents. That's wonderful. Yeah. So now when you come home to Milwaukee uh, to visit or so you know someone's coming here for the first time, are there iconic places that still exist that you send people to? I always recommend they go to Three Brothers for Serbian food. Yes. <laughs> Burak. And, 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 Wait, what's and, your favorite there? Uh, this, the... Uh, Spinach burek, yeah, and the, with the t with the tomato salad, yeah. Oh, that salad! <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. eat it out of a shoe. But it really feel it really feels like you've gone back in history or something, or in another part of the world. It's it's really wonderful. So true or false, Milwaukee has showed this movie more than any other time, any other city in the world. I think that's probably true. Okay, I don't know the answer. But I don't know. <laughs> but is there another city that you're aware of that loves this movie as much as we do? Well, you'd, if you're counting the number of times, you'd have to go back to the original, mm -hmm. and how, like a theater that played it every weekend. So it might be like Ann Arbor, or it might be, you know, mm -hmm. someplace like that. So I, I really don't know. All right, one more question. Jerry Harrison, uh, growing up in Milwaukee, mm -hmm. what did your childhood smell like? Uh, well, in the summer, cutting grass. Is that your job? Uh, well, yeah, and that's also I would try to make money doing other people's lawns. Mm -hmm. It was sort of, that was the typical thing that you did. It's like you cut the lawn and then you rake their leaves and then you shovel their snow. Yeah. And um, You're busy all year long here yeah, in Wisconsin. Was, yeah, you, know, you know, it is, I do think it's a shame. It's like, it's also I worked at a couple of factories here in summer jobs and once in an office in the industrial relations department at Evan Road, and once at a lock washer factory. And I don't, I mean, I have three kids who are now in their 30s, but they, they didn't have that opportunity to sort of experience what the future might hold. Mm -hmm. And 
I feel fortunate that I, I grew up in that period when that existed. All right, well, Jerry Harrison, thanks for your time. Give it up. Jerry Thank Harrison. Thank you. Thank you for coming. So what did you think about that? Delightful. I thought you would think so. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Harrison, I was so nervous to talk to him, but what a cool dude. Like, he's so just nice. So I wouldn't even nice. think that because you've been able to interview a lot of I'm interesting people. Time. Yeah, that makes sense too. But also it was in front of a live audience <laughs> yeah. and people looking at me is not my jam. But what a beautiful gift that was to talk to such a legend about um, that time. And yeah, no it, kidding. The fashion, we talked about the fashion in, in the show and yeah. how so much of the outfits are popular again today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the That's cool, wonderful. the other cool thing, Christopher, that I found out, and you probably know this too, so it was the theatrical release happened at the same weekend, and Milwaukee was the second highest grossing city for yeah. um, not only like the money that was made, which isn't really the important part, but how the many people, yeah. the attendance and how many screenings there were. So I was very proud we, of that. Thank I, you, Milwaukee Oh, Film. yeah, they did a great job. Our programmers are top notch, honestly. I mean, I work there. I don't do that job so I can compliment them without being like... Uh, uh, <laughs> adding you, your own back. Yeah, backhanded compliment to yourself. Uh, <laughs> no, they did a great job. And the team at the Oriental Theater, I just want to shout out the team at the actual cinema who take tickets, who make sure everyone gets to where they need to be, who get those lines going. They are, we. it's maybe the finest group we've ever had at one time there. It's a really crack squad. So they handled it phen- phenomenally. Um, but yeah, we, I believe, had, I, we may have ended up adding screenings because they were doing so well. Those, especially that first weekend, and I mean all through the weekend. Yeah. Just full up. It was amazing. Well, we don't want you to have FOMO. So if you happen to miss <laughs> it, um, can you, I mean, did you say this already? Is it going to be shown at the oh, yeah. film festival again? Yeah, for sure. It's a tradition. We show it every year other than the couple that won either the world shut down or mm-hmm. the, the distributor pulled it. But yeah, it's going to be back again uh, this festival in April so you can come out, see it, and dance with everybody. I will be leading the conga line yeah, this time around. In your around. big suit. In my big suit. <laughs> so this is the part where we talk about what else we've been yeah, watching. You go first this time. Thank you, sir. <laughs> well, I've been very anxious to talk to you about this and all the Swifties out there. I watched Miss Americana. Oh, the, yeah. We talked um, about that. Yeah, the did we talk about that in this? We talked about it in the one with Abby, our uh, our Eras Tour episode. Yes, but yeah. I hadn't watched it right. yet. So I finally watched the 2020 doc. Taylor Swift um, is, uh, it really talks about her role as a singer, songwriter, and performer. And then like from her early days when she was 13 years old to today and how she not only has grown as a woman through having like Imagine going through puberty and growing up and your whole life is like so public. Yeah. Um, but how she kind of pivoted at one point and went from wanting to be like the girl that everybody likes that nobody that isn't offensive to anyone to yeah. finding her voice as a woman and a human and speaking up against. Um, and it started with elections in her home state of Georgia. Uh, a woman was running for Congress that wanted to just take away women's rights, yeah. um, women's rights and make it harder for women to testify in court against abusers. Oh, yeah. And Taylor had gone through something very 
personal and public where she was at a meet and greet at a radio station. A DJ reached under her skirt and grabbed her butt. There's a photo of it from the front and there were seven witnesses and she still had to go to court and had a really hard time proving that this was a violation when he was denying that it happened. That is terrible. I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew the part where you're talking about. I remember seeing the clip of them, of her talking to her dad manager and stuff about wanting to come out and say these things. But I didn't know that about the assault. That's terrible. Yeah. So this is where I feel like I need to, I publicly apologize to anyone that might have listened to that episode, including our guest that day. Because I think I had made a comment like, I don't really connect with Taylor's music because I am not in a bad relationship. I was a little ignorant on what she was all about until I watched this documentary. And I'm part of the problem, right? Just listening to media and kind of half knowing what an artist is about. But I know why she's so big now, because she not only is super talented, but she's very honest and earnest. And she stands up for what she believes in now, which I think is what took her career from being very popular to this era's world tour where she broke records and had sellout crowds. And I get why everyone looks up to her now. And yeah. it's because I should have watched this documentary in 2020. <laughs> well, don't be too hard on yourself. You can't watch everything and absorb all of it until you do, and then you're great. Yeah, I, so I just that feel much great. better about wearing this Swifty bracelet yes, right now. Yes, we're both wearing our, uh, our, our Swifty bracelets. Uh, <laughs> thank <laughs> so, you again to Abby, by the way, yeah, for making those. Thanks to Abby, and thank you for, for letting me... Um, let me have that say because I think everyone should really watch this documentary and especially if you have young kids. I think yeah. it's so important um, to help people find their voices. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to talk about a book. Ooh. I, m- me and my wife both really love Shirley Jackson, who is famous for uh, the very very scary or creepy story of The Lottery, but also The Haunting of Hill House, which there's been many movie incarnations of that story. And uh, we uh, we have always lived in the castle, which has a couple of film adaptations too. Those are her big ones, and she's she's known for like her. She's kind of haunting of Hill House, definitely scary. But then the rest of her stories, I think scary is like a little bit of a diminishment. It's because it's creepy, sure, mm-hmm. but it's just this almost alternative reality. It's kind of a subtle eeriness more than anything else. And I just read a book that I hadn't heard of. She's got a bunch, and we only know of a few uh, you know, that are popular. But there's one called The Sundial, which is about a family who is told by a dead relative, a dead patriarch, comes back to one of them and says, the world is ending, but you in this house will be safe. As long as like you stay in this house? Yeah, stay in this house. When the world ends, you will be the only survivors and you'll be the ones to go on. Would you want that? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, they talk, they talk <laughs> about Then they have visions of what it's going to be like afterwards. They can One of them can kind of see. Um, but it, the funny thing is that it's less about the end of the world and more about what happens to these mostly awful people. Oh, they're not good people? <laughs> not most of them. And I'm trying to think, hard right now if I remember any of them being decent. <laughs> not so much. But just seeing how they not fight and or just manipulate to try to establish some hierarchy before they move on to this new world that by all accounts is going to be wonderful. 
<laughs> and how terrible it's going to be before it gets there. It's really good. It's really good, but it just reaffirms my love of that author, Shirley Jackson. Not an unknown author by any means, because there's got those couple titles that, mm-hmm. that are big, but definitely dig into some of her, I mean, we would call them B-sides, maybe. When you said The Lottery, is that, was that one made into a movie? I would not be surprised. Is- it's actually very much a Hunger Games vibe. It's a small town where there's a lottery, and whoever you cho- chosen has to be killed for a particular oh. reason yeah okay because i was thinking about an old old not old but 90s film out of ireland scotland britain where um i think a, a gentleman had a winning lottery ticket and when he realized he passed away and then what happened to oh, that ticket I see. Yeah, is where my yeah. brain went but that sounds <laughs> actually yeah. yeah hunger games like yeah it's got a little hunger games vibe um but yeah shirley jackson that's my that's my jam Awesome. So watch that and then Miss Americana yeah. and and let us know. Uh, yeah. What should we ask our peeps this week? Oh, yeah. We talk about what well, we've done. We've talked a lot about concert films, mm-hmm. but maybe because we've asked people. Oh, I, how about yeah, yeah, this? You got one. And maybe we did this already. But so people consider Stop Making Sense one of the greatest live concert films of yeah. all time. What is your favorite live concert film of all time if we haven't asked that before maybe it's been a while and i'd like to know again i'm gonna dig in i can't remember it feels like we maybe have (laughs) but maybe not we'll see we need someone to take notes for us maybe that could be you interns for cinebuds 2024 (laughs) for you cinebuds completists uh that have written down and have them all cataloged please let us know <laughs> All right, that wraps up another episode of Cinebuds. Thank you to Yay. our Kim Shine, our wonderful producer. Thank you, Kim, and thank you to Newski for our wonderful theme song. And Associated Bank and Eyes on the Lake, Eye Care and Eyewear. We really do appreciate your sponsorship of absolutely, the podcast. Absolutely. And we could not do this, nor would we want to, without our wonderful members, both from Reading Milwaukee and from Milwaukee Film. Kisses and hugs and love to everybody who supports and nonprofits. Bracelets for all of you. <laughs> Get on it, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Bye.